From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again. Thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast. My name's Andrew Dunkley and with me as always, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. How are you going? I'm well. And you? <laughs> That's good. Yes. All fine. Thank you. Good to hear. Still still breathing. <laughs> it's very important. Yeah, it I, is important. I do encourage it. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, today, today we are looking at, uh, wow, some interesting stuff. More results from the core drilling that's been done uh, in the Gulf of Mexico where the dinosaur asteroid hit Earth, what, 60-something million years ago. Uh, they've been looking into that to see what they can learn, and they have learned something quite astounding from what I've heard. Uh, also, giant lava waves uh, on the most volcanically active body in our solar system, and tractor beams. I mean, I remember the tractor beam that got the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars, uh, but <laughs> soon to be a reality. Wow, this could be fascinating. Uh, first, Fred, though, uh, those core drilling uh, results from the Gulf of Mexico, where they've been looking at the uh, splash point of the asteroid impact to see what they can see. What have they seen, Fred? Uh, really interesting stuff, as you said. Uh, the results are quite fascinating. So you probably recall that uh, uh, it was last year, during the first half of last year, that this little drilling vessel, which has the charming name of Myrtle. I'm yeah, that's sure right. Why it's called Myrtle. <laughs> Myrtle uh, sat in the Gulf of Mexico for about, it's only about six weeks, I think, uh, drilling into the First of all, the sediment that um, underlies the, the seabed of the Gulf of Mexico, and then through that into the into the rock itself, the strata, which uh, scientists believe will carry the the you know the memory of the impact uh, 66 million years ago that we are pretty sure wiped out the dinosaurs. Mm. Uh, they actually drilled. Um, down to 1,300 metres beneath the, the, the floor of the, of the Gulf of Mexico. So it was, it was a significantly big hole uh, in terms of its depth, of course, only, um, uh, only something like uh, 10 centimetres in diameter, something of, of that order, uh, the, the core that came up. So um, the results we've seen before have more or less confirmed the modelling that was made of what this impact uh, was like in terms of the way it shocked the rocks and and uh, essentially um, uh, you know absolutely shattered the Earth's crust at that point. But the new results uh, have revealed that the impact took place probably in the worst possible spot on the Earth uh, for the survival of species because um, it didn't hit on land and it didn't hit in the depths of an ocean. It actually hit 
in a shallow sea, mm. and that has the consequence that um, that it's it's to do with the the way these shallow seas, um, you know, deposit minerals on the on their seabeds. But it, it lifted huge volumes of sulphur, which comes from the mineral gypsum. Uh, this sulphur was uh, injected into the atmosphere, and eventually sort of, you know, circum circumnavigated the globe so that you had um, a global uh, covering of sulfur in the atmosphere, which reduced the sunlight coming down to the surface very dramatically. Um, and it, it was the basically that reduction in sunlight that caused the mass extinction phenomena, because uh, this world was uh, very quickly cold and dark uh, and and food apparently ran out very, very quickly. And that, of course, uh, leads to mass extinctions. So my, they mostly would have starved to death. I think that's right, yes. The, I mean, in the immediate uh, vicinity, of course, of the of the impact, this, this body that hit the Earth's surface was 15 kilometres in diameter. And I think you and I have discussed before that uh, within the first five minutes, it lifted a mountain range higher than the Himalayas mm. and then dropped it back again just by the, the, the uh, dramatic effect on the Earth's crust. Uh, but um, it's the long-term after effects that were really the killer for, for global species. Um, one thing that's really interesting that's also turned up, uh, sort of uh, in parallel with this, is that um, in uh, New Jersey, which of course is a long, long way from from the Chicxulub region where uh, in the Gulf of Mexico where this uh, this event took place, there's been um, there's a quarry there which has a huge number of fossil fragments uh, that date from exactly the time of the impact, uh, and it suggests that these uh, since these fossils are, are actually in a very narrow layer of the rock strata, no more than 10 centimeters thick, we're told, uh, it means um, that perhaps what we're seeing there is the is the the the, the bodies or the the remains of creatures that were uh, actually killed on the day of the impact wow. itself. So, you know, this is the, the shock wave reaching up to, uh, well, to, 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 to northeastern uh, USA uh, from the Gulf of Mexico very quickly and wiping out uh, hundreds of thousands of, of animals at that. But it, but the, the global effect, uh, the, the, you know, the, the sort of nuclear winter kind of effect really is the one that uh, did the biggest damage in terms of species extinction. And, and very quickly, did I read rightly that if, the thing had hit a few seconds or a few you know, a few seconds earlier or a few minutes earlier or later it could have been a completely different story that's right yes because it would have landed in either in the pacific or the or the atlantic ocean uh, and you wouldn't have got this uh, this effect of the sulfur being lifted there would have been other effects of course a, Gee, a, a makes, ginormous makes you wonder what the earth would be like now had that had that yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it could have, you know, it could have led to the survival of dinosaurs as they were then. Um, I mean, we still have dinosaurs around in the form of birds. They are the direct descendants of the dinosaurs. So it was just the smaller ones that that survived. Mm, and the alligators um, but, and the crocs, of course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. I guess there'll be more to learn. But gee, they've really uncovered quite some amazing uh, information from that uh, core drilling. Fantastic stuff. You're listening to Space Nuts with Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. Zero G and I feel fine. 
space nuts. Now, Fred, we're going to talk about lava. Now, I'm one of the um, a few people on the planet who's actually been up close and personal with lava. <laughs> it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to really get too close, but it uh, it is extraordinary to watch. It just blasts itself out the top of a volcano, uh, which I did at Vanuatu, and you have done too. Uh, but we're talking about lava waves on EO, which uh, is not on Earth. It's uh, in our solar system, though. Uh, and, and I'm told that these are magnitude massive, <laughs> for want of a better term. <laughs> to, to give it a technical term, that's right. Absolutely. So um, EO is one of Jupiter's four biggest moons. Uh, these were the ones that were discovered by Galileo back in, in 1610. Uh, and it's a moon that has been visited by spacecraft, so we have a pretty good idea of what it's like. It's the smallest of those four large moons, and it's also the nearest to Jupiter. And that means that um, Jupiter's gravity, Jupiter being a giant planet, its gravity is squashing and squeezing uh, the, the, the core of Io in such a way that it actually gets very hot. Uh, and that means that there's extensive volcanism on Io. In fact, it is the most volcanically active body in the entire solar system. It beats the Earth into fits uh, and uh, is, sort of has several volcanoes uh, over its surface erupting at any given time. Mm. Many of them have been spotted uh, actually erupting by passing spacecraft over the over the 40 years since we realized that um, EO was very volcanically active. But one of the things that scientists have watched in detail is the largest of the, the lava lakes which we know dot the surface of EO. And this is um, uh, actually, it's a place with the name of Loki Patera. Patera is just a, a word meaning a kind of shambolic crater. Uh, and the crater is basically a, a volcanic crater in this case. Loki is the name of, uh, of this place. The crater is 202 kilometers in diameter and is full of lava. But what is curious about this is that its brightness in the infrared, that's the kind of heat sensing region of the spectrum, changes very dramatically. And in fact, it, it varies by factors of 10, which is an enormous amount. Mm. And that's interpreted as being due to phenomena that take place in this lava lake that are a little bit counterintuitive, but um, you can sort of imagine this kind of thing happening. So you've got, what you've got is basically a, a lake which is connected directly to the molten magma underneath the crust of EO. Uh, so this is being fed by uh, hot liquid rock. Uh, that rock, <clears throat> when it reaches the surface of the lake, essentially freezes. So you've got uh, lava that solidifies. And that uh, is then, uh, actually unstable because solid lava actually is more dense than liquid lava and so what it wants to do is sink back yes. below the surface right and when it does when it does that uh, it kind of tips up so you've got this inversion iceberg of, effect uh, it's the iceberg effect that's right yeah. except with icebergs it's the other way around because icebergs uh, ice being lighter than liquid water it actually floats with lava uh, that the lava wants to sink right. but what we think is that um, it reveals when it sinks it turns over and reveals its hot underside which is why you get this sudden increase in the in the amount of heat radiation that comes from from uh, from that region of eo mm. but the reason why this is uh, in the news at the moment is some very very clever observations uh, that have been carried out by scientists in the in the USA mostly in California 
What they've done is they've used one of Jupiter's other moons, in fact, Europa, to um, to sort of act as a almost a shutter. Uh, they, they watch as Europa passes in front of Io and shuts off the heat uh, and radiation from the surface of Io ah. uh, gradually, and that allows them to kind of map where exactly where the the heat is coming from. And what they think they've detected is waves of lava going across the surface of Loki Patera. It's sort of um, almost like tidal waves of lava uh, moving across this 200 kilometer diameter uh, lake um, as the as the uh, lava surface, the lava crust overturns. It's remarkable stuff. I, um, you know, when, when I read this, I tried to imagine what it would be like standing on the surface of EO and watching this happen. It would and be horrifying. Probably, I, think. Uh, I think it would be horrifying. Yeah, it would probably be like the, the gates of hell opening up. Yes. Uh, but, um, well, maybe that's something that we will do down the track when, uh, you know, when astronauts finally make their way to the moons of Saturn, yeah. uh, which I'm sure they will eventually. But um, it's uh, it, it, for the moment where we have to use these very clever techniques like what's called occultation, uh, occult, to occult means uh, to hide, and, and it's a term used when one object passes in front of another in the, in the universe. So uh, that's why we now think there are lakes of lava with big tidal waves on them uh, on one of Jupiter's moons. It's remarkable stuff. It is. And the other thing I find amazing about Jupiter is the, uh, the variation in the moons. You've got frozen moons, you've got volcanic moons. And the volcanic activity, I think, is, uh, is different to Earth because um, we, we've got pressure working from the inside of the planet. But there it's gravitational, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm. it's, it's this. Um, I mean, I mean, it's it's the the gravity of Jupiter. As I said, it squashes and squeezes Io, and and that then causes internal heating. So the, the heating does come from the inside, but it's actually got an external cause. And you're quite right. The other four, uh, the other three big moons. Uh, of Jupiter are all covered with a surface of ice. So uh, they are very, very different. Yeah. They're further away from Jupiter, though, than Io is. Mm. As we discussed last week, though, we do uh, we do um, have a, a gravitational effect here with the moon, and it lifts the land about, what did you say, a foot or so? About a foot, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. But you can't feel it, thank goodness. And, and, <laughs> and no tidal waves of lava, thank goodness for that, too. Uh, yes, that, that's that's a much better idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is Space Nuts. Uh, Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Space Nuts. Finally, Fred, we're going to talk about something that uh, everybody's heard of that doesn't exist, but we certainly witnessed uh, Hollywood making good use of it uh, during the Star Wars uh, Episode 4 movie where the Millennium Falcon was caught in a tractor beam from the Death Star. Uh, uh, but now, here we are all these years later, uh, and tractor beams may soon be a reality. Is that true? Uh, in, well, in, in fact, they already are, Andrew, uh, in that um, experiments have been done using tractor beams made of photons of light, uh, photons being the, the, the particles of light that exist at the subatomic level, essentially. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's how we interpret light in the quantum world. And, y- you know, it's um, one of the things about these uh, tractor beams is that they are, again, like so many things in science, counterintuitive. Because, yes, you can imagine photons of light pushing something along, but it turns out that in reality, what they can be used for is to pull something along, which is essentially what a tractor beam is, to pull um, uh, objects along. And these are 
submicroscopic object, of course, but um, it, it basically comes about because the momentum of the beam is transferred to the object that you're trying to move, and so it just pulls these particles along. Uh, that's also happened in the case of sound waves. Uh, beams made of sound waves uh, have actually been used to move particles up to a millimeter in size. So these tractor beams are kind of well established as a technology. But I think uh, what has happened so far is um, they've, they've not they've been a, a technology without a purpose. You know, they, they, they haven't been something that has found immediate application in science until now. Uh -huh. uh, when tractor beams, which are um, of a very different kind. And I have to say, uh, Andrew, that we, are, we now are dipping our toes into the quantum world and nothing in the quantum world behaves as you expect it to. So my understanding of this is, I, I have to say, less than complete. <laughs> in fact, it's pretty vague, really. Uh, but these are what are called matter waves. And matter waves are basically waves of probability, uh, which is all that matter is in the quantum world, uh, which can be used again to act as a tractor beam. Um, these, however, are for objects much smaller than the ones we've just been talking about. These, these go down to objects which are atomic size. And so um, with, without dwelling too much on the way the technology works, the application is likely to be when you are trying to study individual atoms. Uh, for example, in uh, microscopy, microscopy of a very extreme kind where you're using electrons to actually uh, to, to, to image the atoms that you're looking at. How do you move a single atom around? Well, you need a tractor beam. Mm. And it turns out that the uh, matter wave tractor beams that um, these scientists have, have actually been uh, working on, uh, that is exactly what you need to pull individual atoms uh, around uh, around on you know on what might amount to a microscope a microscope slide, but of course it's not a slide. It's in a vacuum chamber with an electron microscope looking at it. This is work actually that comes from from Russia, Belarus, and from Denmark. It's um, really quite remarkable stuff. Uh, we haven't seen their matter wave tractor beams yet, but they believe they can do it. And it's one of these things that uh, does have a, an application in science. A, a fur, so it's, it's basically a tool that other scientists can then use uh, to manipulate their samples when they're looking at individual atoms, which is really an amazing thing. Um, you, just to be able to see individual atoms with a microscope is quite extraordinary. I'm sure it is. But the question on everybody's lips, Fred, is do you, do you foresee a day where we will be able to create tractor beams that can... Um, pull space into Death Stars. Yes, for example. <laughs> well, of course. Um, it, it's interesting the way uh, little um, bits of technological breakthrough like this can build up over time into the mammoth advances that uh, you know that we we might see in a science fiction future. I don't rule anything out, Andrew. As mm. you know, we um, we in the world of science we look forward to the future actually rather agape at the possibilities of the things that might might occur down the track. Yeah, could be exciting. Very exciting. Oh, it's it always is. exciting, Fred. You yeah, always come up with yeah. amazing <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Very good. Um, can't wait to get my tractor beam so I can drive, you know, park straight. I'm sure that'll be uh, that'll be the next Oh, of course, thing. that's the, the first rule of tractor yeah, beams, yeah. yes. It lets you park straight. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, thank you, Fred, as always. Great to talk to you. 
It's a great pleasure, Andrew, and we'll talk again soon. Indeed, we will. Uh, That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And you've been listening to Space Nuts. The Space Nuts podcast can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher, Podbean, and many more. And don't forget our sister podcast, available on all those platforms, Space Time with Stuart Gary. Until next time, Andrew Dunkley signing off. Thanks for your company. We'll talk to you again soon on Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. From Audioboom comes Covert. A new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.